Hey everybody, Jason Cerrone here with the Mobile Home Expert Podcast, here with our mobile home expert, Glenn Esterson. Glenn, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Another day, another dollar. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Glenn, um, when we left off last, uh, we were talking about the Mobile Home Park Manifesto, the the book that you wrote, and we're getting into Chapter 2, which is all about tenants. And I have so many questions about tenants. I want to understand, like, you know, how did these folks get there, which we kind of talked about. Um, Why are they there, vetting them? Um, how to keep them, how to get rid of them. And then in the ones that we want to keep, I'd like to learn a little bit about how do you convert or what is the value of converting someone from um, to a lot renter instead of a home renter, meaning that they uh, buy the home and now are just renting the lot. Is, is that a correct way of saying that? Yeah, I mean, we want to get them from renting a, a park-owned home into owning that home and just renting the lot. Awesome. You know, that's how that's how you make a really sticky tenant and and a tenant who will stick around for, you know, 10 plus years. Great. Well, we'll tease that and we'll leave that for the end. But let's start off with talking about, you know, who are these folks? I mean, we've talked about it before. These are typically people who are making eight to 14 dollars an hour. They are the lowest income portion of America. But can you give us any more insight into the kinds of people that we're dealing with? Yeah, I mean, that's, you kind of hit it on the head with uh, the, the economic situation that they're in. Uh, but outside of that, you know, they're also a, a tenant that um, wants something more than what an apartment can offer them, at, you know, at that same price range. Maybe they want a little extra space for a yard for their dog. Uh, maybe they want, uh, you know, an extra bedroom because they have children. Uh, and the rents that they would have paid for an apartment would have prevented something like that from happening. And, uh, you know, virtually all the tenants in, in the category have had some additional stressors in life that have prevented them from having more success. So, you know, they're also a bit more, you know, calloused to the capitalist kind of systems. So, you know, keeping all that in mind is, you know, one way to understand the tenants, but, uh, really understanding that all of these tenants really want a better life. You know, they really want to try harder at something, but, you know, given their, their current situation, this is the best that they've got. And uh, for us as landlords, we want to be able to help them, you know, accomplish more in their life by providing them good housing, giving them, good resources to to reach up the ladder and not be stuck on that same peg. That's awesome. So um, a, a lot of it must come down to vetting the folks because, you know, with those low incomes comes maybe some not so good seeds in the bunch. How do you go about, how do you go about vetting people? And, and are you that like, or how should an owner go about vetting people? Sure. So I'll, I'll tell you, you know, from my experience, when I used to landlord, um, I was not the greatest vetter of tenants. I was a sucker for a hard luck story and a pile of cash in, in, in hand. And, um, you know, what I came to learn after, you know, falling for these, these hardship stories and that wad of cash is that my tenant base was awful. 
and I uh, couldn't get them to pay rents on time. And, you know, one day they had a thousand dollars in their hand to move in. And the next day, you know, they had no money to pay anything except, you know, I guess their beer. And, you know, I learned kind of the hard way about vetting tenants. And, and now I'm, 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 you know, if I was to own a park again, I would definitely be much more uh, insistent on tenants passing major you know, guidelines for, for living in my park. Uh, the first, you know, one of the first ones, obviously, or one of the top, you know, in the top five, nonetheless, you know, is, uh, is a criminal background check, specifically a, a sexual predator check. You know, the last thing anybody wants is to have somebody like that in their park and it will disrupt your park and make other tenants uneasy. So you have to, you know, you have to go through all of that. So you have to run a federal check on them. Uh, and you have to, you know, get their, their social security number and driver's license and put it through some systems. You know, one of the more important uh, things to, to watch out for is that guy with that wad of cash. Um, it's amazing to me how many, you know, people were, were able to show up with a couple thousand dollars to come rent a unit, but then never have money again. Um, and so job vetting became, you know, becomes very important. You know, they, they got to make at least. You know, some people say two times the rent. Some people say three times or four times the rent. You know, I, I feel like if they're making somewhere between two and three times the rent from 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 their job, then you know they should be fine um, for at least paying the you know the rent that they're trying uh, that you're giving them. You know, the guys that uh, don't have a verified job, it becomes really hard to verify their job, obviously. You know, the landscapers and people that actually have a job are just working under the table. It becomes hard to verify. And I would say, you know, if you're confident that it's not somebody pretending to have an under-the-table job, uh, you know, make sure you call that guy's employer. Make sure it's not his buddy who's just vouching for him. Um, try and get something proving the income from them a lot of these guys don't even have bank accounts so you can't have them show you a bank deposit statement of regular uh you know regular deposits from an employer so these are all things that you have to do uh, you know i was just hearing a story the other day from one of my buddies who owns a handful of parks and you know he, he let somebody in with a hard luck story and you know quite literally had a gun pulled in his face a few months later when he wasn't able uh, to pay his rent and he was being forced, you know, forcibly evicted. Um, and these are the kind of people that were disruptive to his park and would be disruptive to anybody's park just because they had a good hard luck story and enough cash to squeak by to get in. And, you know, all it really takes is, is one bad tenant to, to really sour your tenant base. And, um, you know, with, with drugs being such an epidemic, you know, uh, you got to watch out for, for guys that, you know, are, are, are drug dealers and pill poppers and crack addicts and uh, meth addicts and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because once you have one of those guys in your park, before you know it, they tend to have a handful of friends in the park doing it with them. And then before you know it, you have an epidemic on your hands inside your park. And, you know, if you get into a bad enough situation like I did, you might have to evict, you know, 80 percent of your tenants just to get just to just to get it all out. And uh, These folks can ruin your business. It seems like ruin your business. this is like the most important thing you could possibly do. I have a couple questions based on some of the things you said. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, so uh, under the table, d as a landlord, do you have any responsibility for that? Like, because that's not legal. Like, are you, do you have any, 
is there anything that can happen to you by renting to somebody who you know is working? No, under the no, table? You, no. As a as a landlord, you can really rent to anybody. I mean, you want to make sure that they, you know, are, are a valid citizen, and you know that's what the social security card is supposed to do. And if you run the background check, it will at least give you that much that they're authorized to to be in the states if they're not a citizen. Um, and you know, as far as providing housing for an unemployed person or a person, you know, working under the table or somebody, you know, who is maybe a drug dealer, but you don't know he's a drug dealer, there's no liability that will come against you. Uh, the main liability would be in housing people that aren't authorized to be in the United States. That's uh, obviously something the, the government would crack down on you about if they caught wind. Um, but as far as employment goes, there is no liability there i just would strongly encourage you know to make sure the guy you're renting to has some money in his pocket consistently um because turning your unit over three months later for non-rent chances are that unit's going to be trashed and you just cost yourself maybe a year's worth worth of rent in in uh um, in renovations and lost collections you know so it's it's too dangerous to play around with that way anymore and you know obviously you don't want criminals in your in your park um, you know, I mean, it's who cares? I mean, not who cares, but, you know, somebody has a, a DUI or, you know, a, a small pot charge or something like that. You know, most people are not going to worry too much. But when we talk about criminal criminals, you know, your gang members and, you know, your, your violent uh, offenders and your, your drug dealers, you really need to avoid those people having any access to your park because that's the riffraff and the riffraff can get out of hand real fast. And those guys aren't always the dumbest guys some of them are really clever and some of them know how to work the system once they get in there and depending on what's you know what uh, uh, where you are in the country what state you're in you know a lot of uh, states offer tenant rights that are very strong and, and hard to move out of uh, even a bad tenant even a non-paying bad tenant so uh, you have to be very rigorous in, in your vetting process with these guys. Have you ever had anybody who wanted to pay for like a year up front or something like that? Is that something that people should? Oh yeah. Be? Okay. Why? Oh yeah. It's, uh, I fell for that trap. That you that's know, a trap. And, and it, was a, it was a woman uh, at my park who um, was you know she seemed to she seemed to have everything in order. Um, she had a job and. Uh, she, you know, had all this money to move in and she had some, you know, things on, you know, I think she was upfront about telling me about, hey, I, you know, I was arrested for disorderly conduct and stuff like that, but she seemed like an otherwise reasonable person. And, um, you know, she, she offered to pay six months upfront and, you know, uh, for what reasons or another, I, I didn't take all the money upfront. I only, uh, you know, took her normal money, the uh, first in security. Um, but, uh, even with her, she became, she became one of those riffraff tenants. Once, you know, as soon as she lost her job, she stopped paying rent. Uh, she stopped, uh, you know, started avoiding me and then started getting other tenants, you know, kind of mm, riled up and she would go from one unit to another and get, you know, something to happen at a unit that would cause them to say, I'm not paying my rent until it's fixed. And, uh, it was, it was a straight up nightmare for me. It took me probably six, seven, eight, nine months to get her out, you know, through the quarter law because she refused to move out. And uh, she kept saying that she had her rent and she would pay it once I would fix this, that or the other. And uh, she knew how to work the system and she knew how to get other tenants to, to do the same thing. It became, you know, she was also it's part like of a that cancer. crack epidemic. 
that I had at my park, and I could not get her out of there. And until I could, I, I had a very disrupted park. <laughs> right, <laughs> that sounds horrible. Say, you know, it it's... was horrible. I lost. It, it, it was it was one of the worst years that I had. It was 2010 or 2011, and it was uh, it was a straight up nightmare for me. I mean, it nearly cost me everything I had on top of other things outside of this woman that was happening because of the mobile home park, like the city saying time to hook up the city sewer and, you know, incorporate me into a, uh, into the city. So my taxes were higher to do. It's just a, for me, a very slippery slope. And I could have avoided a lot of it, uh, or at least managed to, to not have nearly as many headaches had I vetted my tenants even better. However, I think that woman probably still would have squeezed through, but probably not, um, as many other people would have. Great. I mean, that's a that's a real strong case for heavy vetting. You know what I think is interesting is that you haven't mentioned anything, and I'm sure there's a reason why, about credit scores. Do you even check credit scores? Uh, I don't check credit scores. I don't know that at the caliber of park that I had that it was would be a useful tool. Now, if I had a Class A park, that was, you know, how, you know, dealing with more senior citizens and, you know, was a really beautiful type of park and really swell tenants. I, I maybe would institute some kind of credit score rating, but uh, for the most part at the average type of C quality park with C quality tenants, credit scores are, are not the best predictor. Um, you know, I looked, I, I'd run an eviction report and, you know, I would call the previous landlord, but, you know, who knows, a lot of times when they're just giving you their buddy's number and say, Hey, I rented from you for the last two years and things like that. Um, you know, so it, credit scores, no, I mean, it maybe, but if I did it again, maybe I would look at it, but I don't know that that's really the most important criteria as a landlord to worry about. Yeah. I wonder if it's, you know, you just reduce it. So like a 420 would be a good score in that space. That'd be interesting to, to follow up on. Maybe we'll do a blog about that and, see what information we can find about, you know, what is the median uh, credit score of somebody who lives in a mobile home park. Um, so on, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it would. So on the, um, you, you, we kind of went through the bad, the worst case scenario of getting a bad tenant out. Are there easy situations? Like, is there a proper methodology for getting a bad tenant out? Because it sounds like bad tenants in general just destroy the value of your park any way you slice it. So it seems like the faster yep. you can get them out, the faster you're going to be on a better path to, you know, a, a better exit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what a lot of landlords do, which is different than apartment buildings, is um, often we don't use annual leases. We do what's called a month-to-month -month lease. And it gives considerable more rights to a landlord um, for tenants not paying. Whereas if they're in a lease and maybe they're behind on their payments, but you know, they're, they're, they're not breaking any of the, the other rules in the lease. It, it can be hard to, to get them out. Whereas if they're month to month, it's kind of free will. And I, you know, every 30 days I can decide if I want to rent to you again. And if I don't, most States, I can give you a 30 or maybe a 60 day notice and saying we're done here. Uh, and there's usually not much problems and a good tenant, um, probably you probably wouldn't do that to a good tenant, but uh, maybe a bad tenant who's a good person is often going to go out. You know, and with all of the the tenants I've had in my years, um, which you know hundreds at this point, uh, you know I've rarely had to go through the court systems. Um, rarely, 
but enough of the time that I did have to go through, it was a, it, it, always a pain in the butt. And, and expensive. So, and expensive because you're paying an attorney or you're taking time off of work or you're doing, you know, the filing fees and all these things. And it could be just a real burden. Um, most tenants, what, what, what many landlords will come to find out is most tenants, if you ask them to leave, will leave. They don't necessarily want to be there if they're not supposed to, assuming they can get somewhere else. Um, if they, you know, if they can't, maybe they stay and make your life a little bit harder. And then, you know, oftentimes we might say, okay, look, we'll, we'll, we'll assuming your, your, your unit's in good shape and you're not a, you know, and you get out of here on time, we'll help you. Uh, we'll refund this last month's rent or something like that to get you out of here. Uh, or refund the deposit or whatever it might be. Ah, uh, dangling um, the carrot. Dangling the carrot, exactly. You know, it's uh, protecting your asset. <laughs> well, right, exactly. because you, you know, don't want but, them to go crazy and destroy your home. You know, you want them to leave nicely, and and you know, if you're a good human being, you don't want them to have no money. Uh, so you know, you're looking out for both parties. I think that goes back to our first discussion of of ethics. You know, you, yeah, it's goes both ways. Exactly. You, you want, you want to be, you know, in a position that you can't get, you know, you, you can't look back at what you're doing and knowing that you're just, you know, putting someone else in a worse position so you can be in a better position. Now, I mean, if they're a bad tenant, you got to get them out and you got to get them out that, you know, whatever legal way you can. Um, but, uh, you know, if they're just a, you know, a random late payer and you're just tired of them being a late payer, fine but uh you know you don't renew their lease or whatever it is but maybe you know make it so they actually have some time to find a place to go and and things like that and uh if they left their unit nice return their deposit you know if they if they followed the protocol that would deserve a, a deposit back definitely give them back because they're going to need that for their next place um you know it's uh I mean, I've heard war stories of you know people threatening the you know the, the landlords threatening the tenants hey we're going to you know, called uh, DSS on you because we know you have drugs in there. We know there's a child in there if you don't move out by tomorrow. And maybe, you know, maybe that's necessary at times. But if you vet your tenants well, you probably won't end up in that situation. Yeah. I mean, and we're spending a lot of time talking about the bad because it's the scary part. But based on what you said a few minutes ago, it sounds like most people, even, you know, the ones that you would think aren't going to be respectful, it sounds like most people are, are respectful. Would you say that the majority of people are good? I would say so. Yeah, I would say the majority of my tenants that I've had, um, you know, they want to be left alone. I mean, their rent's usually not too much, you know, a few hundred dollars a month, whatever it may be. And outside of that, they want to know that their, you know, that their space works properly and that they're not being, you know, harassed by other tenants or by landlords or by whatever. And most of the time they, you know, they, they, they follow directions well and they live by the standards of their lease. Often, though, you have to get on them about, hey, your, your car doesn't have a, you know, your car has expired tags. You need to fix that. Or you have too much trash outside of your room or this or that or the other. But those are smaller things that your property manager should be able to handle with. Um, and, you know, maybe you want to keep record of all the little infractions they do. So when you have to have a discussion with them, there could be a nice list to show them, hey, look, we've been working with you. Here's a whole list of times we've had to tell you about something. Now it's time to, you know, not have to worry about this again. So let's let's tighten up your ship here. Well, and right, um, and right there, Glenn, a lot of people do, are are lazy and they've missed that important step 
of tracking everything and saving correspondences and putting things in writing and having people sign things because it's not about that moment. It's about what happens over a certain amount of time. So really everybody should be tracking everything that they're doing with their tenants so that they have a record that they can go and prove it to not only the tenant, but also, you know, if you have to bring the law in the law. Yep. I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree more. You know, I mean, it's not going to hurt anybody's feelings to write down each time you, you know, had to address something. But when you actually have to have that hard conversation, it will be digested easier by the tenant when you show them, look, you know, hey, look, you know, we got, you know, a year of, of the same type of behavior and we've worked with you. And now it's time for you to, to, to stop being such a burden on us and let's let's fix this so it doesn't become something where we have to ask you to leave. Yeah, because when you're heated, when somebody's like, tell me an example, give me an example, you can never come up with an example, ever. So oh, it's, uh, it's good exactly. to have it. Think about arguing with your wife. Exactly. You know, uh, exactly. When when did I do that? And you're like, oh, I have no idea. I can't remember right now. Either, but, uh. <laughs> um, so tell it, let's talk a little bit about good tenants. So what is a good tenant, and, and how do you keep the good tenants? And what is the opportunity of a good tenant for your business? Sure. So, you know, in, in my mind, a good tenant, you know, and I'm going to assume most people's mind, a good tenant is somebody who is going to pay the rent and not give you headaches, right? Uh, somebody who's essentially going to enhance your tenant base or at least not disrupt your tenant base. And um, the, the benefits of having, you know, a, a good tenant that's vetted that isn't going to be, you know, riffraff is he's going to encourage other people they know to come to the park as well when you have a vacancy because you're going to probably say, hey, you've been a great tenant. You know anybody else that you would want to live here? Maybe, you know, who's looking for a place and you could offer maybe some referral fees or, or discounted rent for them for bringing a couple other people on. So it's like one benefit, but, you know. That's the, a big one because benefit, the company you it's keep. A huge one. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, a, a good tenant is – typically going to stay at your park for, you know, seven plus years at a time. Whereas, you know, an apartment tenant's going to stay there maybe a year, two years, something like that. Right. Um, so with, with a, a lot rent tenant, you know, it's not uh, uncommon to have them live the rest of their remaining time on earth at your park. Um, whereas a park owned home tenant might be considerably shorter stay, kind of like an apartment deal. So your goal is to kind of uh, convince them to become a permanent tenant and, you know, depending on what state laws are, where you are and local laws, you're going to try and find a way to have them buy their home that they're renting from you so they can become lot renters. And uh, once they own something, it gives them a lot more initiative to want to, you know, keep the park up and, and, and have a nicer community. And, and they stay, they stick around until some major life change happens for them. Uh, but lot rent tenants definitely is the, uh, path that I would encourage most uh, parks to transition their, their homes and, and renters into lot renters, because uh, that's really where you're going to get the value for your park. If you decide to exit your park, the, the value on the, the, the tenant that's renting a home is nothing, you know I mean? It's, because it's the houses nothing. depreciate. Maybe the house is depreciating. Maybe you're getting a, you know, a few thousand dollars per home, uh, for, for, you know, for occupied or unoccupied home, it really doesn't matter. But the lot rent, you know, you can apply a cap rate on there. If there's, you know, if it's got a $300 lot rent and your expenses are a third of that, you know, you have a $200 basis to capitalize. And, 
you know, if you did, um, you know, if you were to capitalize, I mean, let's just pretend for a minute, you know, if you had, uh, a, you know, a $300 lot rent with about 33% expenses or so. So you left with $200 uh, and you, you put that on, um, on a cap rate of, let's just say a seven and a half cap as most things are trading on right now. Uh, uh, works out to about $2,700 or so a, a unit. Um, and that's just, you know, per month. So when you do that times 12, that tenant per year to you is worth about $32,000, you know, once he's converted over to a, to a lot renter. And, and that's, that's and you're not deal. responsible you know? for the, the house at that point, right? Like if something breaks, and, you don't have no longer responsible. Exactly. You're no longer responsible for the house. And, you know, after all expenses for what it costs to rent the land and or operate the, the park on the land, you know, you're left with the tenant that essentially each tenant is worth somewhere around $30,000 to you. Um, and if you have, you know, 50 tenants, you know, I mean, that's, that ends up being, you know, what, a million five, million six, something like that. Um, and that's, you know, that's where the value of your park's going to come in. So, uh, in convincing tenants that are renters that you, you've rented a home to to then buy uh, gives them some some uh, some benefit because now they have a permanent residence uh, as long as they maintain it and it gives you a real benefit because now you've just increased your your uh, your value of your park tremendously and do that enough times with enough tenants and you go to exit you're going to make some money so would you say that this is true? This is slightly off topic, but that it's not a good idea for the owner of a park to develop relationships with the people in the community and that that should be left to property managers. And then the follow-up to that would be how important are property managers to, you know, the day-to-day -day health and wellness of your park? Yeah. So that, that's, that's a big deal. Um, you know, if you're, if you have a small park, it might, be hard to afford a real property manager um you know often managers are going to cost you know somewhere 10 percent of your rental income you know up to maybe thirty forty thousand dollars is about where it caps out at and you might as an owner say huh i'm already here i'm just going to do this work and i'm not going to use a manager and by doing that you know you're going to save some money for sure uh, but you're then going to start getting every story from every tenant because whether you want to talk to them or not, they are going to come over and talk to you because they're going to do that. And everything they're telling you is usually aimed to get some kind of, uh, you know, what would you call it? A, uh, a discount, you know, on rent or, or, or some, some other similar type of thing. And you have to, you know, for me, I was a sucker, you know, I mean, it's like, I, I couldn't, I'm a sucker too. That's why I'm asking. Out, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Cause you feel and, you have empathy. And, and, exactly. And, and my collections would tend to, to slide when, when I was, but the more often I was there despite collecting rent, the more often I'd hear hardship stories and say, okay, we'll get me next month. And, um, when I finally said, you know what, enough's enough. I'm going to put a manager in here and do this properly. Uh, you know, that didn't have that issue. The manager might have had that issue, but he's also got the rules to live by, his employment, you know, rules to live by with me that, hey, this rent needs to be collected, you know. And uh, I think it adds, I think it makes it easier for a landlord to have a manager because he can be that uh, that layer in between. And the, the tenant's not going to necessarily 
not get mad or not get uh, upset about not getting a discount. But I think they're, they understand that there's a wall and that guy's just saying what the company wants him to say. And, you know, uh, it's easier for them to say no to that and accept it. Uh, whereas if I'm there, they can sit there and just haggle with me about it because they know that I'm the owner of the park and uh, it's, it's, it's a harder discussion. So, yeah, how yeah, cr- you definitely need, in my opinion, you definitely need a land, uh, a property manager there uh, to handle these tenants that way. Well, how do you how do you how do you vet them? Oh, so that's we'll, we'll get into that in, here in a minute. But basically, you know, it, you're going to want to use, depending on where you are in the country, uh, you know, somebody who's licensed, and um, you know, almost any realtor uh, association around the country will you know, have a recommendation of people call up almost any, you know, local realtor officers, probably even somebody in there that has a, a certified property management certificate, you know? So I, I recommend there. And then of course there's some major management companies, uh, you know, regionally that, you know, uh, can assist as well. And, you know, what people do often though, is say, Hey, look, you know, John lives over in the unit. He's been here forever. Real nice guy. And we trust him and we're going to let him, you know, collect the rents or uh, get him to show the units. And we're going to discount his, uh, his, his rent and either give it to him for free or take something off of it. So he feels compensated for what we're doing with them and when you do that it's nice and saves money you know and I've, I've done it before but my experience has been sooner or later money becomes up missing or something you know a showing doesn't get done or you know you find a guy who can't really convince a good tenant to move in and uh, i again would revert back to you know just better safe than sorry get a licensed property manager in, in, in there and as far as creating the relationships that your your, your question there before had I think it's very important for the managers and and if you're an active owner to kind of have relationships with your uh, with your tenants. It's going to create goodwill. You just have to have certain amounts of um, boundaries and expectations put in place. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Glenn, you really dropped some knowledge on us today. I, I really appreciate it. What is the next chapter we'll be discussing next week in the Mobile Home Park Manifesto? Well, there's chapter three is about, you know, what, what is, you know, MHP? What is a manufactured home park? You know, uh, and, and what are the variations of that? And, you know, RV parks have become uh, a major thing. I mean, they've always kind of been a major thing, but the secret's out now. And then they're definitely uh, trading faster and, and, and more often than they used to. And there's some, you know, huge, beautiful RV parks out there that is similar to operating a mobile home park, except now there's a whole new business uh, kind of aspect to it as well, especially if you're a seasonal park. And then new things like, uh, you know, tiny home communities, uh, you know, are they going to be an actual thing people are going to live in, or is it just a, a fad? And, is, you know, it's, it's yet to be seen. Uh, some places are having success and other places aren't. And, um, you know, it's, it, but it's a similar type of model where they're leasing the ground. And then uh, campgrounds with, you know, annual leaseholders and things like that. You know, there's some variety when it comes to MHP. And you don't just have to get into this business to buy, a, you know, a mobile home park. You can get the same type of aggressive growth um, with some variations in there. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of some of the mobile home parks that have, you know, a portion of their lot set aside for RVs. 
And uh, there's a real way to, to capitalize on that if you're looking at cash flow um, right now. So, you know, we talk about that in the book a little bit next. And, and uh, you know, maybe we'll squeeze another chapter in there with it, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, what to expect when dealing with RVs or MHPs and about the good, bad and ugly and everything in between. Well, that's awesome because I didn't I didn't ever think about that there were all these other things that were transferable in terms of knowledge. And they're relatively the same thing, just some slightly different scenarios. So I'm excited to have that conversation. Uh, Glenn, where can people get in contact with you? How do they learn more about uh, uh, you and your uh, business? Well, they can always call me. And uh, I'm always around and happy to give anybody some time if they want to talk about the business. Uh, they can also go to my website, and that's uh, www.themhpexpert.com. And uh, email's always fine, too. And, you know, now now I'm uh, up and running with Marcus and Millichap uh, out of Atlanta, doing a lot of East Coast stuff with them now and uh, nationwide stuff with them. And he could always stop by and have a, you know, meeting with me. Or, but the easiest source of information is definitely going to be the website. Um, and the quickest uh, source of information is just pick up the phone and give me a call. And your phone number's on the website, and they can contact you via email uh, via the website as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. My, my phone number is 423-483-0492 for anybody that just wants to skip a step and give me a call right away. Awesome. Glenn, thank you so much. This is Jason Sroden and Glenn Esterson for the Mobile Home Park Expert Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.